Hey, everyone, and welcome to the State of the Art Podcast with me, your host, Ethan Appleby. I'm very excited to bring you along as I dive into conversations with amazing people who are at the intersection of art and technology. Each week, you'll hear a different angle about how tech is bringing radical change in the way all of us interact with art. We have on artists to first-time collectors, as well as CEOs from some of the top digital art companies. We'll also look at the effects social media sites and crowdsourcing platforms are having on the art world and explore how other creative industries, such as music and fashion, were democratized using technology. Before we get started, I want to tell all the artists listening about Bango. If you're like many of the artists I know, you spend more time managing your career than you do creating art. Bango helps you with this. To learn more, go to bangoart.co slash podcast. That's B-A-N-G-O dot co slash podcast. And if you're looking for original art, Bango is an amazing place to find art from some of the best emerging artists. Now, in this episode, I'm excited to welcome the CEO of French Girls, Andrew Herman. Andrew's a mechanical engineer from Scranton, Pennsylvania, who grew up a guitar enthusiast and a closet art fan. In 2014, he launched Easel, a marketplace for original art, which then transpired into French Girls, an app to discover and create new digital art inspired by photos in the community. Today, I talked to Andrew about why he thinks not all art should be taken seriously, how he believes most art and tech companies put the cart before the horse, and what cultural shifts he believes needs to happen for art to be as popular as music. So please, allow me to welcome today's guest, Andrew Herman. I'm here in the offices of French Girls in San Francisco, California with the CEO, Andrew. How are you? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. Thanks for coming. It's great. to We're, we're basically neighbors. So this was easy, easy to get to the closest interview that I've done so far. <laughs> so you, you get that claim. Nice. Um, I'd love to hear, I mean, your story now. You're, you're working on your third kind of art startup. Yeah. Um, you're wearing a Penn State shirt. <laughs> so you're, you know, I know you're from Pennsylvania. Like, you know, how did you get, how did you get here? And what were the moments that sort of triggered uh, the beginning of, of this journey with, with art and tech? Yeah, man. Well, so, uh, you know, I mean, I'll try to keep it as medium length as possible. But uh, I, so I come from a creative family. Um, I have seven siblings all older than me. So uh, like humor is the universal language in our house and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we all played instruments growing up. My dad played guitar. I have a couple of brothers who play guitar. I have a sister who's a great, phenomenal visual artist. Um, so that's always been in my blood. But then, uh, you know, went to school at Penn State, as you said, um, met my business partner there. And I was actually a mechanical engineer there, but um, always had an interest in more comp sci kind of stuff. And uh, we, you know, I mean, really, it was kind of the story of like, we just didn't want to get real jobs. So <laughs> we yeah. started like an iOS thing. And uh, we actually like built the bus app at Penn State that's still running to this day called Cata. And uh, this is like what the bus schedule app, so you know when the bus is. Yeah, coming. it was like the live GPS. Like you wow. know, GPS came to the Cata system whenever we were students, and it was like the end of the world. Awesome. Yeah. So we like mobilized it and uh, still actually support that app, um, which is pretty cool. But so from there, we kind of got into. Um, we got into consulting because it kind of made sense for us at the time, but we always had, we were product guys. We always said that, like we, we always wanted to own our own product. So it was always more like a way to fund some of our spinoff ideas and all that kind of stuff. Um, and ultimately it's funny because while the creative DNA is sort of in me for sure, 
the first version of French Girls just came out of a hackathon. Like it wasn't, it wasn't really an intentional thing. Yeah. It was, uh, we had gotten pretty good at building stuff in our, um, you know, in our consulting gig and just wanted to see if we could ship something over a weekend with the guys that were working with us. And, uh, that was the first version of French Girls, but you know, it stuck around and, and, you know, there's always the startup story. Some people come to it through kind of accidental entrepreneurship Yeah, with me. That was kind of the case. Some people were like, have the golden vision from day one. For us, it took some time to kind of work into the vision. We had something that took off, like we got a ping on Reddit. Um, it spiked our numbers and that was cool. Um, but it really like at the end of the day came down to like, what is the soul of this thing? And what are we actually trying to do? You know? Yeah. Let me ask you, was that hackathon an art-related hackathon or? Yeah, so like, so we were all like a bunch of like 20-something dudes, like drinking beer, eating chicken wings and like making an app, right? Yeah. So like the goal was really just to make each other laugh. Yeah. And we were like, dude, how hilarious would it be like if you were at a bar and like could just draw a random person around you and send it to them, right? Huh. And so that was kind of like the the impetus from day one. And, you know, I mean, we had to constrain it to like, what can we actually build and all that kind of stuff. But that was the original idea. So like it was creative in the sense that like we were trying to make each other laugh. It wasn't creative in the sense that we like were trying to create great works of art. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, and, and for anyone who's used French Girls, you, you yeah. definitely laugh from the very beginning. Yeah. Because the the, the logo <laughs> is a mascot, is a whatever. It's, a, it's a, right. basically a... a he, he has a name, by the way, Scotch Mornington. Scotch Mornington. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Scotch Mornington. He looks like he looks like a French, a drunk, naked French sailor. Yeah, you got it. That's kind of the idea. That, that was the idea. And the name is French Girls. I mean, just talk to me about how, you know, how you saw building an art and company, an art and tech company yeah. with, uh, you know, French drunken sailor as your logo. And so, <laughs> so the... The, uh, I mean, the name French Girls, first of all, comes from like at the time that we built the thing, the like paint me like one of your French girls meme was blown up, where it would be like someone's cat or like, you know, just sprawled out. So it's like the references from the Titanic. And still, by the way, like one of the final pieces of remaining code from the original app is the pull to refresh <laughs> in French Girls is like an iceberg sinking the Titanic. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's so if great. you get the pun, people love that. But, um, but you know, man, I mean, I think that as, as time kind of went on, the idea was, was really, um, we found a lot of value in creativity, right. And, and it's been, it's been a consistent force in my life. And I think that as we started to get serious about figuring out what this thing could be and what is the art market right now and what is the visual, you know, world like. We're like, it's just too serious, man. Like it's mm -hmm. too, when you say art, right? Like the first visual that people get is like white walled studios and like super hot chicks, but like in snobby dresses, sipping wine. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, it's great. That's cool. There's always a place for that. The fine art world is great. But I think what that cheapens is the fact that there's an enormous depth of um, sort of creative merit out there. That isn't for people that want like mind blowing, like artistic expression. They just want shit that's cool. Right. Yeah. Um, and you know, like, so, so when you're talking about like the bachelor that's like moving into his first real apartment post college and wants real quality things to have on his walls, right? Like there's, there's no reason why it should be some like shitty thing that they pulled out of the back of like a bargain discount store. Like, why is it a bad thing? Or that, Ikea. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. 
like, why shouldn't you have preferences and like know what you like and, and actually be interested in the art that you're putting out there. Mm -hmm. Um, so all that to say the the brand was always very intentionally meant to kind of disarm people, um, and to make light, uh, you know, art because, uh, because it's a world that takes itself way too seriously. Yeah. You know, you had a great, uh, quote before we started, which was, um, you know, art's taken too seriously. Like there's room for serious art, right? But there should be, you know, there's room for so much more. Yeah. So, you know, we have this idea that we talk about a lot that, that, Art in any medium is sort of on a spectrum, right? Yeah. Um, and so like whether we're talking about music or visual art or um, food even, you have this kind of spectrum from the fine art world, which is like um, always revered and it's, it's as academic as it is creative. Um, and it's, you know, that is always meant for a very specific crowd, which typically spends more per unit, whatever that unit is, right? Like whether mm -hmm. it's a live show or whether it's um, a piece of artwork. But then there's also the other side of the spectrum, which is sort of folk art that's meant for mass consumption that is typically more in the folk tradition, right? Like it's not any less creatively meritous, um, but it's these artists would have learned from their dad instead of going to music school. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the classic example is the blues, right? And like the, what the blues became, which is rock and roll and pop music. So in the music world, you have the spectrum of classical or jazz on one end to pop music on the other. Yeah. And you know, the, there's always value in that fine art world and the jazz and the classical. But the point is there's a whole spectrum in between sure. that people enjoy. And there's like sort of different like market dynamics that happen at each point of that spectrum too. But the point is that it exists everywhere on that spectrum. Um, and in the visual art world, something that we feel like is really missing and especially kind of in Western culture is so the folk art is being produced. Like if you talk to an artist, they're like, well, yeah, this, this shit's everywhere. Um, but the, the general public doesn't see it that way. Like yeah. it's difficult for a layman walking down the street to like talk about art in any kind of way that doesn't involve a museum or like a, you know, some hoity toity gallery. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, our belief is that, that we can expose sort of this more folk art side of the market, you know, this, um, the side that is a little less expensive to the end consumer makes money more in volume than mm. in like the weirdness around scarcity in the traditional art world. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, there's just so much value there, man. Like yeah. I'm, I'm such a fan of the blues and, uh, I, I always try to like ask myself, what is the blues of the visual art world? Oh, that's a great quote there. I mean, but why is it that you think that the sort of, uh, general consumer, general public does not know about or appreciate or see the sort of folk art as you describe it? Um, that's a, I mean, that's a really good question. I think that's kind of the million dollar question. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff you can get into if you look at the history of visual art. Yeah. Um, in terms of like, you know, visual art for a long time was like, you had to be pretty rich to be able to, um, be a painter even, or you had to have financial support because you're not working. And so there was like this cultural thing that like, you know, those people had to be paid just to like live in that world and be focused on painting. Um, so you had to have access to money, which culturally then became a symbol of, of, you know, the, the hoity toity parts yeah. of culture. Right. Um, 
Whereas, you know, something like the blues, like that came out of the the slave songs, right? So yeah. very different cultural connotation. Absolutely. Um, so there's a lot of history there. I think there's something to the fact that like the medium itself is difficult to replicate, right? Like an, an oil on canvas, there's only one of them. Sure. Um, whereas with music, you're playing to as many people as you can fit in the club, right? Yeah. So like, I think there's something that's to the natural scale of the medium. But, you know, that's kind of, we see that as an opportunity because technology is a great multiplier. You know, you, you can you can uh, spread things really thin with the reach of technology and you can duplicate things. Um, so that's that's kind of the future we see. Yeah, well, let's, let's come back to that. But I mean, you're, you're a huge music enthusiast. I mean, are there things from sort of the history of, of music that you think can be applied or learned or taken into the art world? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the general, the general role of technology in music has always been a multiplier. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the live, so it used to be that live music was the only music, right? Yeah. Um, and, and then it got to the point that like, okay, so I can acoustically play in a well-built auditorium to 500 people. Right. But anything above that, it's going to be difficult to hear. Um, then you get, uh, you know, some technology being applied to instruments. You use a banjo instead of a guitar, things get louder. You know, then you move into the uh, electric age and you can amplify. So now you can play to like 10,000 people in Shea Stadium if you're the Beatles. Um, radio comes along and now all of a sudden, like you completely change the game because you're able to like send your music overseas. And, and you know, again, it's it's about duplicating and reach. Yeah. Um, and for whatever reason, like in the art world, people are really um, defensive of that. Like so much of the art world is built on this idea of like you have this one shiny gem of a piece. And the reality is, unfortunately, that has more to do with the prestige and the status than it does the quality of the art. Yeah. Um, and like if I truly believed that that had to do with the quality of the art, then I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing because then I would therefore believe that it would be bad to duplicate that. Yeah. Um, but I think it really just ends up hurting, hurting the, the entire culture around art. So, I mean, thinking about that, so if, if tech is about scaling and, and the art world is about scarcity, what, like, how do those two worlds yeah. come together? How do they merge? Well, the, the traditional art world is about scarcity, right? Yeah. Like the, if you're talking about like hanging a canvas on a wall, that's about scarcity. But if you look at, you know, like the, the, the visual art world's funny, man, because it's around us all the time and people don't really realize that like what they're looking at is the art world. Yeah. Like look at comic books, right? I mean, that's, that's, that to me is like more the folk art sort of medium that we're talking about. Um, and that, that is very scalable, right? Um, so, so for us, what it is, is that through technology, we can, we can make it cheaper to create art and giving artists tools that make it faster and easier to put out a creative product. Um, and from the buying perspective, from the customer's perspective, right, we can give a diversity of content. We can give customized content that like is actually relevant to you, um, even commissioned content for like a relatively inex inexpensive price. Yeah. Um, I think that again, like so much of this conversation has to do with what people's perception around art is and, you know, the blue collar American gets really like visibly upset. Even I've seen this 
when you walk into like a coffee shop and there's a $500 painting on the wall that's like eight inches by 10 inches, right? Yeah. Um, because we have a blue collar buying ethic in this country and people are like, well, that's frivolous, right? It's a small thing that I don't really need and it's a lot of money. And that's the, that's the construct we got to work against because that's a reality. Like we can't do anything about that sure. really. Mm-hmm. We have to operate within the context of what the market is. And that's what the art world has been really slow to uptake, I think. So is there, I mean, do you, how do you think that that, that construct can, I mean, do you think there's a way to change that construct? Yeah, I do. I mean, you have to make art less expensive. Yeah. Right. So like, let's go to first principles, right? Like it's too expensive for people to buy. Um, and whether culturally or not, like art is very unapproachable for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It's just a difficult thing for a lot of, again, lay people to like get their head around, even if they want to. Yeah. Like it's in, in the art world does this to themselves where they like keep it pretty exclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got to make it less expensive and you got to make the artwork um, more relevant to the buyer. Yeah. And you got to find a way to close the gap between buyer and seller, right? Like make artists and customers understand each other better. So let's go on the, the last two points. Relevance. Why does that matter? And w- why that matters is um, you don't ever go. So, you know, if you study like how people expand their creative palettes, right? You never go straight from pop star to jazz, right? Like, the way that people learn to appreciate jazz is you start with Justin Bieber because you're a 14 year old girl that likes Justin Bieber. Right. And yeah. then you're like, as you grow up a little bit and you get more into music, you're like, ah, maybe I should expand my horizons a little bit. Right. Who were his influences? You get into like Usher and, and discovering him and like you get into, you know, a little bit higher quality pop music as it were. Yeah. And then you get more into that and you're like, Oh, well there's like alt rock out there. And there's like, you know, some of these things on the fringes that are interesting. Let's study the history of that. And it goes back to like American rock and roll. And that goes back to blues. And then that goes back, you know, that's how you get into jazz. Like that's where your bridge is. So you're going like a, B, C, D, E, you're not going a to Z. And so as that reflects on, on uh, visual art, it's just not fair to expect the average consumer who hasn't built a palette to like understand what's valuable about art. Mm-hmm. You have to make it relatable to them so that they know what they're looking at and why they like it. And you know what? The first thing you buy might be a portrait of your dog. Like that happens on French girls all the time. Right. Yeah. And like you're doing it less because of the artwork and more because of the dog. Right. Yeah. But the goal is that over time, like, so now you see that picture of the dog and you're like, well, that's really good. I wonder what else that artist did. And as soon as that happens, now we're on the right track because now you've taken the focus off of why is it important for me necessarily to scratching an intellectual itch of like, hmm, what else is out there? Right. Yeah. Like, what else is this artist doing? What else could I get drawn for me? You know, and it builds out. Yeah. But if you're not relevant at day one, forget about it. I mean, there's just no interest, right? Like. There's like those weird like sports on ESPN Ocho, right? And yeah. You're like you watch them and it's hilarious, but you're like, eh, it's too weird. Like I'm never going to get into it. Um, I, I love, that's a great example. <laughs> the um, so do you see though that that and what do you think that sort of trigger that turning point is for people to go from Justin Bieber to Usher to or from maybe that you know French girls is from Justin Bieber to Usher and then from Usher on. I mean, how do you right. see that progressing? I think, I mean, people are naturally creative, right? Yeah. Like people, people naturally want 
to learn. There's always, and you can like be cynical about it and say like, well, people like to impress their friends. And I think that's probably part of it. Yeah. You can be humanist about it and say like, you know, creativity is kind of what separates us from the animals. Like the fact that we can have original ideas, um, is what makes us who we are. And thus like being exposed to original ideas is always attractive to us, but they have to be non-threatening. So you have to take small steps. So I I just think it's a natural process. Like, I don't know that there's any key points or anything. I think that people are drawn to learning more and, and understanding creativity more. I think you see this happening more and more now. Like, you know, I think the millennial crowd, um, for all the shit that they take, I think one of the really good things about the millennial crowd is that like, they are trying to understand themselves better and take Mm -hmm. that really seriously. Um, and generally try to be more well-rounded. You know, I think you're seeing the success of platforms like, like SoundCloud or Etsy being an indicator that like people want this stuff. I was actually just listening to NPR today and hearing about how generally speaking, our market is becoming more, less materialistic and like, like luxury brands are having to appeal to people's ethical side to be able to sell, um, Which is really cool. Like, uh, again, I mean, there's a cynical side to like follow the leader, but the like the cool side is people are, are just more interested in that stuff now. Like yeah. we're beyond the age of just like accumulation and stuff like that. I mean, even craft beer you see like taking off. Yeah. I mean, you, you knew when Guinness started creating craft beer that like it was all about like originality and personalization. And, right, right. Um, you know, and like, and, yeah, and millennials, they want experiences. They want something unique. They want something that speaks to them. Man, like I try to be a pragmatist with how I approach the world. Like uh, I always try to balance, like, especially because I have to represent artists. Like I feel a responsibility to like be realistic about it too. Yeah. But like one thing that, one thing that I will always just believe in is that like the shit's just cool, right? Like, yeah. Like being original, coming up with like creative things is just a, is just cool. Like that's what defines cool in our culture. Yeah. Um, And so it's for that reason that I think people are drawn to that stuff. It's just fucking cool, man. Now, for all of you artists listening who want to be able to market yourselves like you are the most famous artist, Vango can help. Vango makes the entrepreneurial side of being an artist easy, saving you hours each week from the marketing and admin tasks so that you can focus on creating. In a way, Vango is like your virtual assistant or manager, and their killer feature is the ability to manage all of your online portfolios and storefronts in one place. They also create a website for you, show you who your collectors are, provide insights into what is selling, and they'll even help with your taxes. So if you're an artist who wants to spend time doing what you love, go to vangoart.co slash podcast to learn more. That's V-A-N-G-O-A-R-T dot co slash podcast. And now back to the episode. So one of the things, you know, when you look, when you think about like, art and becoming more part of our everyday life or part of pop culture. He's like the pop music analogy, you know, is seeing and hearing more, I mean, celebrities and, you know, Jay-Z and, you know, basketball players getting into art. Yeah. Um, and, you know, how do you see, how has that affected, you know, people's perception of art and sort of normal audience? Yeah. I, I would say, you, you know, they're not art snobs. Right. Right, right, right. I mean, you wouldn't think of them as art snobs and, you know, they're, you know, they have a, a, a huge following. Yeah. I think the problem is, I mean, so first of all, like rock and roll, right? Like any, anybody like getting into the arts world, I'm, I'm happy about. 
Yeah. So don't, don't, don't think I'm not, but you know, you have to be a little critical too. And I think that, yeah, maybe they're not like your textbook rich person, but like still at the end of the day, when you talk about their symbol or their symbolic power in our culture, like they still represent like the elite class of people. Right. And mm-hmm. so like, so like, you know, LeBron James being a collector is like, <laughs> like a neat, right. Cool. Interesting. If that's where he goes. Um, but I don't think it really does anything to support or to get away from this idea that like art is for rich people um, by rich people. And even like, you know, I, I would like to see more on the creator side, because I think something that people forget is that celebrities like creativity begets creativity. Mm-hmm. And so like it always cracks me up when people are like, oh, my God, like that person can actually sing. And you're like, well, yeah, they're an actor. Like they grew up on this stage. Of course they can sing. Yeah. yeah. So like I like seeing I like seeing more on the um on the on the creator side. But like even that man, like Jim Carrey has blown up recently, right? And yeah. that's big news that he's as an like, artist, not as a yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. And yeah. like, you know, he's making a big splash in the modern art world, which is great. But like it's it's having like it's it's not making him more relatable, it's making him less relatable. Like yeah. it's like everything like around Jim Carrey just got a little bit weirder. And like uh, and I mean, there's some other stuff going on with him too, but like, it's, I don't know. It's just like, so far it seems to me like it's just been reinforcing this, um, problematic stigma around what art is and can be. Mm-hmm. So you, you talked about, you know, French girls, you talked about things being, uh, affordable and relevant. You know, if you look at sort of the art and tech community a lot of people are on this podcast that you know talking about how you make art more affordable and connect artists and buyers and its marketplaces i mean you know how do you feel like what are they doing well what are they missing you know yeah i mean so i mean first of all i you know i have nothing but love and respect for everybody that's doing it because yeah. it's an extremely difficult space and you know most of the people that i've met that are doing it are pretty motivated to to actually make a difference in a in an area that need it and so like yeah. So, so nothing personal. Um, but I will say that I think that, you know, fundamentally what we, the problem that we're trying to solve in the art world, whether through business or education or whatever, yeah, is that, um, that it just has a really bad cultural stigma connotation. It just, the place in that it has in our Western culture is really not representative of what art can and should be. Yeah. Um, and especially talking about that spectrum from like, it, like it can just be fun. Right. Um, and so I think like, you know, there's a lot of people that have grand ideas of um, building like a tool or a marketplace for the art market that can open up that, that side of the market that it, that helps the everyday consumer get more into it. But the problem is like that market right now doesn't really exist. Like mm. it's, the consumer isn't Ouch. ready for it yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, like not, nothing personal, but we have to get further upstream. Like we have yeah. to get people to care much earlier before they can start to spend money on this stuff. And, uh, you know, I mean, we're, we're actually working on an education app right now to, to helpfully deal with that problem further upstream because, you know, our theory is if you can expose people much earlier, um, and give them sort of a a vocabulary around art that they don't have yet um, and appeal to their actual creative side, as mm-hmm. in like they're creating. Great. Some of them are going to go on to become awesome artists. 
but probably even more powerfully, a lot of them are going to understand how difficult it is mm-hmm. and, and the value that's in it. And like how, you know, the, not that you should just buy art because you're impressed by it, but it helps to understand the value of art if you can understand the process that that artist had to go through to like make this awesome masterpiece. Yeah. And that's really easy to lose if you haven't been exposed to it. Yeah. I mean, how does that work? I mean, here I am, you know, right. I, I'm interested in art, I'm intrigued with art, but I don't know enough. And, and so now you guys are creating something that's going to what, like, how are people using it? Who's using it? Are, are they aspiring artists or are they sort of a, the general public? Yeah. So, well, so it's, it's the general public and we've actually kind of made the commitment internally. Like, so if you're going to art school, right, you're already sort of over the hump in terms of belief. Yeah. Like it's, you get art at that point. You understand that it's, it's doable, that it like, it can be accessible to you. Right. Yeah. What we're focused on is sort of, um, again, like we we're really intrigued by the millennial crowd that like everybody believes they can do everything. Yeah. Um, which you can debate one way or the other, but the point is like they have these beliefs and they want to gain these skills. Yeah. Um, our, our literacy around visual art in this country and this culture is so much lower than it is for any other creative medium. Like, like I use this example all the time. I use music as an analogy all the time because music is so popular for most people, right? Like, even if you're not a musician, you probably, maybe you don't have a textbook definition, right? But you can probably tell me in rough words what a scale is or what a note is or a tempo or rhythm or, you know, whatever. Like, you get musical concepts because they're part of your life. If you ask someone on the street, like, what a value scale is or like how to mix color or, uh, you know, what, what quality line is. Yeah. Um, they just, we just don't have the same, uh, level of understanding. Yeah. So our goal is, is really like, first, let's just give people the vocabulary. Yeah. Let's expose them to like these ideas because, you know, inevitably a certain percentage of those people are going to like become curious about it sure, and want to get further into it. But yeah, so I mean, the idea is we're exposing this, you know, we're really more interested. There's already a lot of products for kids. We really are more interested in the adult learner yeah, um, because we're trying to grow this palette ultimately. And it's, I mean, it's basically at its surface level, a how to draw app. Right? Yeah. Um, and we have some like some little uh, tricks up our sleeve that we're that we're working on internally to to help make it better than anything else that's out there, but fundamentally, I mean, the goal is just to teach people how to draw. Yeah, and just by gaining that base understanding, just like maybe you had a music class in fourth grade that you kind of remember, <laughs> but you got those basic skills out of that's that's the idea. But so you're not, but you say it's it's fundamentally how to get people to draw, but you're not actually trying to help create future masters. No, I mean potentially, but it's 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 more the idea of five percent of the people or one percent of the people will do that, but ninety nine percent of them will just have an appreciation for art, what goes into it, what it takes. Yep. So when they walk into that cafe, that five hundred dollar eight by ten piece, all of a sudden becomes a little bit more understandable to them. Yeah, yeah. Like they're like, oh, well, shit. Obviously, that took hours and hours to do, regardless of how big it is. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That that's absolutely going. Like, look, obviously, we want to make people as awesome as possible, but it's a it's a numbers game, right? Like, not we know that not everybody's going to go on to become the best artist in the world, and that's fine. Yeah. Um, the real goal is to develop people's palate and appreciation um, as as 
a casual art enthusiast, sure. just like m- most people are casual music enthusiasts. Yeah. Know? And I mean, Instagram maybe has done that to some degree with photography, sure. which is different though than the definition of fine art, but like of paintings. Right, 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 right. And right. so, you know, one of the things with Instagram is it's social. I mean, is there a way that you see like that, you know, either, either directly or indirectly, there'll be a social component to it because it's like, yeah, I appreciate art. Maybe I use it. I appreciate it. I'm not good at it, but then I buy that eight by 10 piece and then my friend sees that I bought that eight by 10 piece. So right, right, right. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, there's, you know, I mean, right now, French Girls is completely, uh, you know, is really a social platform. I mean, there's commerce on it and there's marketplace sort of features in there, but like fundamentally you open it and it it looks, I mean, not to say we stole Instagram style or anything, but it's the Instagram for art, right? Like, um, and that, that was very intentional. So like the, the social aspect isn't lost on us. Like you can't, you can't scale, you can't make any kind of a cultural, uh, splash without, without focusing on how that information transfers from friend to friend to friend. Mm -hmm. So, so we're very aware of that. Um, and it's funny though, because like, so the, the Instagram analogy is interesting. I mean, the, the genius of Instagram from our perspective is that they, they were able to make everybody feel like a semi-pro photographer in 30 seconds with yeah. filters, right? Unfortunately, we don't have, you know, the, the nature of art is that it just takes more time than that. Yeah. You got to lay down the strokes, right? And uh, because of that, people are a little bit more sensitive. So like our social dynamic mm. has to really be the, you know, the, the pump needs to be primed for a yeah. little while before people are ready to sort of expose themselves to, to yeah. uh, their friends and family, you know? So I, I took a drawing class, uh, you know, an adult drawing class and nice. it, it was very hard, <laughs> but, but one thing is that helped and maybe you guys probably thinking about this, but the teacher would come around and then he'd basically like finish half of the painting for me. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then it made me feel like really good. And then it was more like, kind of like, just like, paint inside the lines but it was like i sort of started it and he kept going and i was like you know i felt it looked way better than it should have right yeah you know you know it's funny man like we've actually found that it is much more difficult to convince someone that they can learn to draw than to teach them how to draw huh like it's it's such a battle of beliefs it's like our whole dude our our whole existence as a company is <laughs> like exists because um, we're trying to battle like the psychology around, around visual art. Like, it's just so weird, man. There's, there's this really weird misconception that like, um, musicians have to work, but visual artists are born. Like people don't understand that, uh. like, like as an artist, like you have to practice things. Yeah. Like everything you draw is not meant to go up on a wall somewhere. Like it's, it's a really difficult concept for people to wrap their heads around because they just don't. They're not exposed to it. Like they mm-hmm. don't, they don't see the process that goes into a piece of artwork. They just see the end product. Yeah. It's, re- it's a really interesting phenomenon. Huh. So at, at the top of the show, you talked about how, you know, part of the, part of the prestige that art has and that's led to some of the stuffiness is that, you know, artists were generally supported. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you look at, you know, in the early 1900s and 1800s, I mean, in America, it was, you know, the Rockefellers and the Carnegie's. And right. Vanderbilt's who were huge supporters of artists and would give them studios and that perpetuated perhaps why we're where we are today. But, um, you know, you don't see that from the technocrats now. Mm -hmm. And we're here in San Francisco. And you you talked about the the million dollar answer earlier with like, how do you get people to appreciate it? But I mean, here it's where everyone sees literally, you know, it's, it's so funny, man. Um, Because San Francisco 
it's I mean, you tapped into like a, a wellspring here. So stop me if I run on. But San Francisco is so interesting because for ages and ages and ages, way before the tech scene, this was known as an artist town. Yeah. And there's such a creative spirit here, obviously, like with the hippies in the 60s and the music that happened here. Um, it's just such a creative hotbed. And it's funny because now there's like this palpable sort of tension between creatives in the city and the tech crowd. And I love, I mean, I love and hate like sitting at the middle of that because like, I mean, first of all, I'm like painfully self-aware of what the tech scene is doing to the city and stuff like that. Yeah. But, but also the part that's so interesting to me is that I think there's way more in common with the tech scene and the creative scene than people realize. Like engineers, man, at their heart are, and maybe they wouldn't even know to call themselves this, but engineers think like creatives. Mm -hmm. Like they are idealists. They have like, they're super dedicated to this vision that's in their head. They don't care what it takes to get there. I mean, the amount of like risk tolerance that you talk about in the tech world, I mean, granted, there's a way bigger upside for most, you know, technologists, but like they're willing to just like throw their life away, move yeah. across the country and come to San Francisco because they have this idea in their head. Yeah. And if that's not like an artistic construct, I don't know what is. Yeah. But like, regardless of the fact that that DNA is shared, there's still this like palpable tension. And, uh, and I agree. I mean, you don't really see sort of like this appreciation for the arts and the technocrat crowd, which I think is, um, I think is a mistake. Yeah. I think is, um, what, why, I mean, yeah. Why, why do you think it's, why do you think that, why, why do you think it's happening? I mean, you say a mistake. I think it's a mistake because I think that the, the techno crowd does understand the benefit of of creative problem solving. Yeah. And I think to like stop your creativity there does a disservice to like the benefit that you can see from creativity. Like they're, they're like going halfway with what they feel like um, they can benefit from creativity and then like not, not taking it to its sort of nth degree. And I think if they did um, you would see probably a massive shift in the creative culture that we have in this country, mm-hmm. um, which like, you know, it's, it's hard, right? Because like, maybe it doesn't matter as much economically um, as what technologists are doing, but culturally it would like, yeah. we're, we're losing this identity that like we push culture forward through the arts. Yeah. You know? Um, and it, yeah. And it's, not, I mean, I think the tension here exists mostly just because of housing prices. Sure. I, mean, yeah. I think that, yeah, yeah. that's why the tension exists, but which is unfortunate because, you know, I do think you do have more of the tech side and, and I'm really trying to not be biased here, come forth and be open with artists, but artists, because they're literally facing a more like, literally like a day to day sort of yeah. roof over your head issue. Right. That, there's a lot of tension there that actually I, I do think that in San Francisco, the artists don't engage as, as much as the tech crowd yeah. would. But I'll, I, but I will then go further. Sort of that side. That aside is looking at the, you know, I mean, let's just call it like the purchasing, the supporting. I mean, you know, right. there's there are a, a growing number of sort of artists in residence programs. Facebook has yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. But to like a, a larger extent, you know, people here they're not they're not buying art. Yep. You know, it's nice that you have those few bright spots. Yeah. But it again is just a perpetuation of like this culture that you even like 
need the multi-billion dollar of Facebook to support it. Like, again, it's just this, like, it's It's a super high-minded thing, right? And, like, it's just not a part of our day-to-day culture. Yeah. And and so, you know, I mean, again, like at the end of the day, that's that's the problem we're working on. Yeah. I, and I agree with your point. I mean, I think that artists here are super defensive. Yeah. But they're threatened, right? They're like th- it's yeah. a matter of like power structure, right? So what would be um I mean, what's your 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 vision for sort of the company you're creating, obviously? You you have this idea of, of what it looks like. I mean, ten years from now, yeah. You know, what what is sort of art look like? How part of what's your vision for the next ten years? Yeah, I mean, what what we say all the time is like our our home run, our best case scenario is that you know people in this culture understand and interact with visual art in the same way that they do uh, music. Yeah, right. It's something that's so pervasive in our day to day culture, and I think you know what's funny is that again, visual art is around us all the time. Yeah, from billboards to you know CD covers to book covers to you know, posters that you see walking down the street and it's, it's, we just have a blind eye to it. Yeah. Um, brands too. I mean, we had the most famous artist on and he talked about artists working with brands Yep, and how it's becoming more and more prevalent. And like my, my thought experiment is always this. If you <laughs> walk down the street and ask a random stranger who their favorite artist is, right? Their favorite visual artist. If you <laughs> actually ask the musician first, right? Yeah. And it'll be probably someone that you've heard on the radio in the last two weeks, right? Yeah. If you ask someone who their favorite artist is, if they even have an answer for you, it's going to be, uh, you know, one of the like, masters, right? One yeah. of the masters, like uh, you know, whatever Renoir, and uh, <laughs> and it's just so like to me that's so indicative of the culture that we have, where it's like, if I'm even going to make a statement about what I like, I'm going to go to like the, you know, that's like saying your favorite band is Beethoven, yeah, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. And if someone ever said that, you'd be like, come on, buddy. Like, come yeah. on. Who are you trying to impress? Right. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's the culture we have around visual art. I mean, maybe people know Banksy. Mm-hmm. Other than that, like, who's a modern artist that people actually know day to day? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's that people have that. And I guess what would be then, I mean, how do we, this is a complicated question. I mean, how, how do we get there is what I, what I really want to ask. But would there even be advice that you'd give to artists or the art world or, yeah. I mean, so everybody has to deal with it at a different scale. Yeah. And like at the artist scale, I think it's first of all, like be realistic mm-hmm. about what the market is today. Like, you know, leave the idealism to your work, not not to like the market. And as an artist, it's all about like, how are you connecting with the people that are looking at your artwork? Yeah. Like it's easy to say like, yeah, you got to sell out to to buyers, right? But like maybe the better way to look at it is, how are you understanding your buyer? Like, yeah. how are you understanding? How are you trying to communicate with someone through your artwork um, to motivate them enough to to actually buy, right? Um, and I think that's a message that artists relate to better than like, just get out there and talk to as many people as you can, right? Yeah. Um, I think the people in a position to actually sway the market and sway the culture, like you and I are fortunate enough to be, um, we have a responsibility to get further upstream mm-hmm. um, and not just serve the market, but create the market. Mm-hmm. You know, the, we're, we're creating products that serve the market. We're not creating stuff that is growing the market. And everybody's so concerned with like what their monthly revenue is that I think a lot of people have forgotten to sort of 
take the step backwards and say like, man, it's going to require like more than just my one little company to do this well. Yeah. We need we need products and services that like nurture this creativity from education to printing to um, galleries to, you know, the fine art world still needs supported and they need better ways to sell so that, you know, they can, you know, maybe their volume is a little bit different than what we do. But, you know, a $500 painting is still a hell of a lot better than a $10,000 painting, sure. right? And so like, um, it needs to be a focus on how do we continuously push further upstream in the market um, and have an impact on like the day-to-day consumer. Yeah. That's what I think. We'll see if I'm right. I'm hope- I hope I'm right. That's, that's well, <laughs> No, I mean, that leaves us all a lot to think about. Um, so before I let you go, can we jump into a quick rapid fire? Absolutely, man. All right. Here we go. Who's your favorite musician who's also an artist? Favorite musician who's also an artist? Hmm. That is a good one. Um, uh, uh, John Lennon. All right. Yeah. I love his uh, little, he does like the little etchings. Yeah. Cool. Uh, when will art be as popular as music? When will art be as popular as what music? Year? 10 years. 10 years. Yeah. All right. And what's your life motto? Oh man. It's funny, man. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not real religious, but probably my life's motto is the serenity prayer, which is, uh, I'm par- paraphrasing, but it's something to the effect of, um, God grant me the, the, uh, strength to change the things I can, the patience to accept the things I can, or the serenity to accept the things I can't, the wisdom to know the difference. Know what, you know, know what you can control, know what you can't yeah. and go to work on the things you can't control. Beautiful, man. Thanks. All right. Well, where can we find you and in, in French girls? Yeah. So check out frenchgirlsapp.com um, for the, you know, just the landing page. Uh, but find us on the app store, um, iOS only right now, but hopefully we'll be able to expand into Android. Um, and, uh, you know, on social media for sure, French Girls app on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And uh, hopefully you'll look us up. Great. Hey, this has been a blast, man. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, this is great. Thank you. So don't forget to visit French Girls at FrenchGirlsApp.com or on Twitter at FrenchGirlsApp. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review it. Leaving a review is super easy and it helps listeners like you discover the podcast. Oh yeah, and don't forget to check us out at State of the Art on Twitter for behind the scenes photos, a sneak peek to next week's episode, and really cool art videos you're going to want to show your friends. Thanks again to Van Gogh for sponsoring this episode and to all of you for listening. Remember... If you're an artist looking to create more or a buyer wanting to enrich your home with original art, visit bangoart.co slash podcast and save 30%.